Hello everybody, welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Carrie Parker, and we are going to be answering some of the age-old cybersecurity questions today. What makes a really good password, and how do I choose one? How can I possibly remember all these passwords? Is it safe to put passwords in a password manager? And why do we even need passwords anyway? Surely there's something better like fingerprints or something. Well, today we're going to start the first in a series of what I call Castle Defense 101, Defending Your Digital Drawbridge. As you know, I often tell you at the end of the show to not get caught with your drawbridge down. And while I bring on some experts and we talk about the latest news, and those are all good things for you to be kept aware of, every so often we just have to go back to school and learn the basics. But who says you can't have fun and go to school at the same time? We're going to talk about these topics in a way that makes sense for everybody. I'm going to break through all the jargon for you. I'm going to really dig into the parts that matter for you and skip all the rest of the crap you don't need to know. Because there's a lot to know, actually, about passwords, believe it or not. We're going to have no trouble filling up this hour talking about this. There's all sorts of aspects to it and things that you really kind of need to know. So, class, welcome to Castle Defense 101. Today, we're going to be talking about passwords. And stay tuned to the end. We're going to have a little contest at the end. I'm going to tell you how to win a free digital copy of my book, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, which has got all sorts of information, including the, the stuff we're going to cover today. But the book has lots of step-by-step -step instructions for how to uh, implement all these things on your Mac or your PC or your mobile device, complete with pictures and everything you need to know. So it's a great resource, and I'm going to be giving that book away to a lucky listener. I want you to send me your horror stories. I'm going to, I'm going to have you send them to my email address, and uh, I'm going to pick out the one I like the best. We'll read it on the air, and I'll send you a free copy of my book. So stay tuned at the end for information on that. But without further ado, let's talk about the bane of our digital existence, passwords. <laughs> Why do we even need passwords? Why, why do we really need these? The answer is, honestly, in a lot of cases, we don't. Uh, a lot of the websites you go to that force you to sign up for an account, which means that you have to create some sort of a user ID. Today, that's usually your email address. And then come up, of course, with a password. Most sites honestly don't need that. The, the, the reason they're doing that is because A, they want your email address, and B, they kind of want to track you. They want to know what you're doing when you're on the site. They want to know that it's you. Uh, so they can kind of keep track of what you're doing. And, you know, unfortunately, because the web uh, is free and people expect the web to be free, nobody wants to pay for anything. And so the, the consequence of that is, is that they they want to know all about you because they that's how they make their money is on you. So honestly, on the web today, we actually don't need a lot of passwords that we have, but it's a it's a reality. It's a fact of life. So therefore, we have to come up with them. I I personally have hundreds, literally hundreds of passwords. Uh, and I will tell you how I remember those passwords as we get later into the show. But obviously there are some sites where you, you need a password. You need an account. They need to know that it's you that it's accessing that account and nobody else. And it's protected from anybody else trying to pretend to be you. So, you know, obviously things like banking or shopping, any sort of investment sites, private stuff, medical stuff, things like that. Those are places where it's, it's pretty obvious that if you're going to access that information online, you need some sort of an account. They need to know that it's you. They need to authenticate that it's you that's accessing the site and not somebody else. And the way we do that is with passwords. Now, you've seen some other new techniques, so we're going to talk about some of those in a minute. Uh, but passwords, I mean, let's face it, the reason passwords are around, the reason that, that that's kind of what we've defaulted to is back in the old days of computers, we didn't have iris scanning cameras and fingerprint readers and facial recognition things and all that kind of stuff. We, 
and the guaranteed thing that every computer had was a keyboard because you had to be able to enter text. So the, the default technique that we've had for years and years and years for authenticating yourself to a computer or to a, some sort of an online service is a password, a text-based authentication mechanism. So that's kind of how we got where we're at. Uh, there are some new techniques, and we're going to talk about those in just a minute. So how do we prove who we are, really? Let's let's think about that. What what does it mean to authenticate? How do I how do I prove to somebody who who doesn't know me uh, that I am me, or I'm at least at least prove to them that I'm the guy who created this account or the person who created this account? So authentication comes usually in three forms. Uh, we usually think of it something that you know, something that you have, or something that you are. So let's break that down. So something you know. This is the one we're familiar with. Something that you've memorized. A password or a PIN code. Or, um, maybe security questions. Those are things that supposedly only you know. Uh, the pros for uh, the, the something you know method for authentication is you can change it anytime you want. Uh, you can change your password or PIN whenever you want. You can change your security questions whenever you want. Then these, if you need to, you can share these with people that you trust. These are something you can kind of give to somebody else and they can also get access to your account if you want them to. Of course, the downside to things of something that you know is it's something because it's something that's in your brain. It's something you can forget. So if you forget it, that could be a problem. It's also if you're not careful, since you chose this thing, more than likely, it's something that somebody else can guess. So, it's, you know, we all know this. this. This is the pros and the cons of passwords, the things that we use all the time. Now, we talked about two other methods, so, uh, one being something that you have. And we're starting to use this more and more. Uh, the thing you might be most familiar with is like a badge or a key even. It's something, you know, if you want to get into a lock or if you want to get into your you know, your big corporate building, the badges have been a very common thing. In the old days, it was a picture badge that you would show to somebody, but modern badges have little readers in them so you could just swipe and uh, get into whatever the building is. So that's something that you have. Uh, the upside there, of course, you don't, there's nothing to memorize, right? And uh, if necessary, you um, you can loan this to somebody else that you trust if necessary, if you want to give them access to something. Now, since it's something you have, if you give it to someone else, then you no longer have it, typically, um, unless you can somehow make a copy of it. But many of these things you can't. So if, if, you, if you give it to someone else, then you don't have it. Uh, so that's a downside. Uh, also, since it's a physical thing, these things can be lost or they can be stolen. Uh, or in some cases, if they're not well done, if the system's not good, they can be copied. And that leaves a third thing. And this is something that a lot of people, I think, think of as the holy grail. This is like, why can't we just do this with everything? And that is something that you are. Biometrics, your fingerprint, your face scan, your iris scan, you know, that immediately appeals to a lot of people because they think, oh, God, I can't forget it. I can't lose it. Um, it's perfect, right? No, and these, no one else can be me. So, you know, why can't I just use me as my, basically use me as my password? But let's think about that for a little bit. First of all, sure, it's true. And generally speaking, if it's a biometric with something about you, it can't be lost or stolen. But can't? Is that really true? Not really if you think about it. And I hate to get gruesome, but <laughs> you could. Let's say it's an iris scan. You could have a horrible disfiguring accident that ruins, <laughs> ruins your eyes. You could, if it's a fingerprint, you could, you could burn your finger. You could lose your finger. You could cut your finger or whatever that would change your password. There, it's not really 100% true that, that these things cannot be lost or stolen. Also, unfortunately, most of these systems are not perfect. There, there are ways to fool these systems. There are ways to fool fingerprint scanners. There are ways to fool face, facial recognition scanners. In fact, back in the day, some of these systems were simple enough. You could just hold up a picture of somebody uh, and it would work. Now, they're getting more sophisticated now. They're, they'll actually, sometimes they'll actually look for movement or they'll look for... 
warmth, like it has to be a live human being, or sometimes they'll look that it has to be a 3D thing. It can't just be a flat image. They're trying to work their ways around that. But nevertheless, um, there are still ways to fool these things, right? So, you know, it sounds great. Biometrics, a lot of people think biometrics are the way to go, but there are really a lot of downsides to it. But one of the really huge downsides to bio, biometrics that um, I think a lot of people just dismiss or maybe they don't think about is that biometrics can't really change without disfiguring yourself, meaning you can't really be anonymous. You can't come up with some user, identif- user identifier um, that, that can't not be linked to you because it is you. Uh, and, you know, I, I, there are a lot of people that don't, that don't care about privacy that think, oh, I don't care if people know exactly who I am. But we really need to be thinking long and hard about this because I don't know if, like, for instance, if you've seen the movie Minority Report, um, we are already actually in the era of customized everything. So there are some stores today that you can walk into and they will recognize you as who you are from various techniques. And we don't, I won't get into all of them, but they can either remember that you have come back. Um, they've scanned your face before. So they know that it's you again. And if you actually bought something with them, then they probably matched your face with your actual credit card info. So they actually know exactly who you are, but if nothing else, they know that they've, they've seen that face before. Uh, and they're actually tailoring, um, some of the, uh, customer service and uh, online, you know, digital advertising that's in the store, uh, things like that. They're actually customizing that based on you and what they noticed that you bought or that you lingered on or uh, these, these sorts of kind of creepy things. Uh, they're starting to do that because to them, it's improving the customer experience. It's making it more likely that you're going to, they're going to be able to entice you to buy something. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's all about the money. So uh, I've, I've heard, for instance, that Gucci is starting to do these sorts of things and, and, you know, it's a fancy store and they want to personalize their experience to you. They want you, when you walk in, they want to say, Oh, well, hello, Mr. Parker. How are you? We haven't seen you in a couple months. Glad you're back. Think of all the things that went into them having to know, being able to know that just by me walking in the door. Anyway, those kind of things are coming. So biometrics, they sound interesting, uh, but as a primary means of authentication, they have a lot of drawbacks. So we're going to talk about multi-factor authentication a little bit less, or a little bit later, uh, and that is taking two, or at least two of these three factors uh, and combining them, and that makes for a much more robust system for authentication. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. But I guess what I want to say at this point is that today, of all these methods, of all these various ways that we can prove to some online website that can't really see us or know us, uh, who, who we are and that we are who we say we are, passwords, unfortunately, are still the gold standard. Uh, well, maybe not the gold standard, maybe at this point, the silver standard, the gold standard really is to, is multi-factor authentication, taking passwords plus something else. Uh, one more thing I would like to bring up about biometrics. That's kind of interesting. And, and that people often don't think about is what can be compelled, uh, in a legal situation, or maybe in a border search situation, or, uh, maybe you get stopped by a cop and they're suspicious or whatever. Um, you know, obviously most people at this point say, Oh, I've got nothing to hide. I've done nothing wrong. I don't care. Uh, you know, but if you're a journalist or if you're a whistleblower or, you know, maybe you're just a regular person who has a private life and things that they would, uh, have done that are perfectly legal that they just don't want other people to know about. Um, if you've got a device that's locked by a fingerprint, for example, and this is still kind of muddy, the courts are still working these things out and different jurisdictions have come up with different solutions, but kind of the way it's been going is that. Uh, fingerprints are different than passwords they are treated differently. So a password again is something that, you know, while a fingerprint is something that you are. Uh, 
So from a like a United States Constitution Fifth Amendment uh, right to not incriminate yourself point of view, uh, so far it's pretty much seemed that passwords are treated as self-incrimination. That is something that you know that you would have to be forced to divulge that may lead to some sort of criminal indictment. And a password so far, not, not in all cases, but in many cases that where this has actually come up before court, passwords tend to fall into that category. That's something that you would divulge that you're basically testifying against yourself. However, a fingerprint, that's something that you are. It's like your DNA um, or your you know, or fingerprints like at a crime scene. These things are much more likely to be compelled uh, by a court. Uh, and you can also... You know, it'd be hard to argue that you, uh, at a border search or, a, or if a cop pulls you over and says, please unlock your phone, or the border agent says, please unlock your phone, if it's only guarded by a fingerprint, then you can basically be compelled to do it. I mean, if you think about it, even under force, so let's say you're traveling abroad and you're in some other country where they're a little bit more authoritarian, there's nothing to stop them from actually pressing your finger to that button, right? So anyway. I know that maybe that may seem like a stretch, but just that's another thing to keep in mind when you're trying to compare these things. And if it's something you're actually worried about, if you're if you're a whistleblower or if you've got corporate, you know, intellectual property on your device that you just don't want to be seen, uh, you might think about turning your devices off, like your mobile devices off, uh, before you go through some of these things. Because at that point, when you turn the device back on, most devices require you to enter a PIN to unlock the device before the fingerprint scanner will work. All right, now as promised, let's talk a little bit about two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication. So multi-factor means that there's more than one factor. Uh, the first factor, you know, still the main thing that we use today is passwords. That's the primary uh, technique we use for authenticating ourselves. But a multi-factor situation says, wait a minute, I, you know, this is, you're you're on a computer that you're not usually on, or you're in a, a device that you're not usually on. You're maybe you're using this device from a location that's not normal. Something looks a little fishy here. I want you to give me further proof that you are who you say you are, because you've elected more more, more than likely to turn on multi-factor authentication. So you want me to challenge you in situations that I think might be fishy. So in this case, you have to give them something else, uh, and sometimes that could be a fingerprint. But often today, uh, multi-factor authentication is um, like a PIN code, a, another code that you enter on top of your password. And the reason that's more secure is because there's there's two different ways that you need to get that. So a password is something you know, uh, or maybe it's something you have in your uh, in a password manager, uh, or you have written down. Somebody gets a hold of your password, and now they're they're trying to break into your account, and now they're being challenged. For that second factor, that means they have to have not just the one thing. They have not had to go through the trouble of finding out your password or guessing your password or, uh, or or somehow cracking your password. But now they need this other thing as well to get into your account. So that's that's we call that defense in depth. Uh, that there's there's now they got through the first wall, but now there's a second wall, and that second wall requires something different, some other way to get past it. Sometimes that second thing is just a fingerprint. Uh, but often today, when you set up multi-factor authentication or two-factor authentication, uh, sometimes abbreviated uh, 2FA uh, or MFA for multi-factor, is a PIN code. And there's typically two ways this is done. And one is good and one is not so good. The one that many places use today, because we all have mobile phones and, um, or, and we all have text messaging uh, as part of our cell phone contracts, is to send you a text message with a temporary pen. It's usually a four or six digit number. Sometimes it's actually alphanumeric. Uh, in other words, it's got characters in it, uh, letters and not just numbers. And they will text you that message 
And that basically says, not only do you have to know your password, you have to be in possession of the phone that was registered against that account. So the bad guy has to guess or crack or somehow get you to cough up your password. And they have to have your phone be able to get into your phone or at least be able to see an incoming text message to get that extra thing to get into your account. Now, SMS messages are convenient. Everybody, Almost everybody has a mobile phone and therefore has SMS capabilities, uh, texting capabilities. However... The texting network, the SMS network, is is old and kind of antiquated and actually is not terribly secure. And it's also possible uh, to clone phones sometimes uh, to the extent where you can create a, another phone device that has a, uh, like a cloned SIM card in it or whatever. This device appears to be one of your phones. Or sometimes they actually can, can manage to talk to your cellular company into saying, oh, I lost my phone. I've got a new one. Please activate this new phone. And now that phone is going to get that text message for you. So at that point, if they've got your password and they've got a cloned phone, then they can still get in. So the SMS network itself is also subject to um, uh, hacking. Uh, and this was actually done in Germany. So what's better than that? Better than that is what we call uh, time-based PIN codes. And the way these work is you you have an app, and the most popular one by far today is Google Authenticator. It's an app you'd put on your Android or, or your iPhone. And... Uh, you set it up one time. You go to, the, for, let's say you're going to your bank, and when you're setting up the Google Authenticator as your as your second as your second factor, they throw up uh, what's called a QR code. If you've seen these, it looks kind of like a two dimensional barcode, right? It's a square with a bunch of you know black and white little squares in the middle, uh, and you scan that with your with your with your ca- uh, your phone's camera. And so when you're in the right app, when you're in the Google Authenticator app, and you scan that little thing, it initializes that account on your authenticator and starts generating these little one-time use, uh, ex, you know, rotating codes, these little pin codes, uh, usually six digits. And so at that point, when you're on an untrusted computer and it, the, the computer challenges you for that second factor, you whip out your phone, uh, you go to Google Authenticator, or and there are other apps, but this is the most popular one. You go to a Google Authenticator, you find that account, let's say it's Wells Fargo or Bank of America, what, and, and you find that PIN code, and you can see it there, and there's a little clock, a little tickered clock next to it, a little, little sweeping, like a little, um, a little uh, secondhand kind of thing sweeping around that tells you how much longer this PIN is good for, because I think it's only like 30 seconds. And then a new PIN comes up, so that's, that's why it's time-based. So, But once you're in sync, once you've scanned this QR code and you've got it all synced up with that account, now you just enter that PIN code, and that PIN code came from your device. It's only based on time. It didn't travel through any network anywhere. It's not based on your cell phone account, so that if I've got a cloned phone, I can't recreate that number. The only way to recreate that number is if I had had somehow been able to scan that QR code myself to initialize a different app that would therefore generate the same pin. So I know it's a long, long, complicated discussion, but basically what I'm trying to say is if you have the opportunity to use two-factor authentication, that is really the way to go. And if you have a choice when you're doing two-factor authentication, how you set that up, use SMS if you have to, but the best way to go, the most secure way to go is to use the time-based stuff where they throw up the QR code and you have to scan it with your phone app. Um, Google Authenticator is usually the best way to go. They'll walk you through all this. They'll, they'll give you all sorts of explanations on how to go find the right app and how to set that up. Don't worry about it whatever, whenever you're setting it up. It's really actually very simple. Uh, anyway, that's what I would highly recommend that you do for any opportunity where you have to set up two-factor authentication. And I would encourage you to set up two-factor authentication for anything you really care about. And that should be things like your financial sites, any medical sites, 
shopping, um, email for sure. I know people think that's not email. Why would I worry about people reading my emails? The thing with emails is when you reset passwords for your bank account, where does that password reset email go? It goes to your email account. So if, if crooks have uh, access to your email account, that's bad that, that they can get into all sorts of other things. So make sure you lock down your social media and your email accounts as well with two-factor authentication wherever you can. You're listening to the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network. It's where we say, let the silent voices be heard. We invite you back to AmericaOutloud.com to get all the latest, make it a daily stop, and also get the app. You go right to the App Store and download our free app, and that will put all our content right into your hands on your phones and your tablets. It doesn't get any easier than that. All right, so now, passwords. Let's get back to passwords. Humans are absolutely horrible at picking passwords. When, when, when humans have to pick up something, pick a password, they generally try to pick a password they can remember, uh, right? You have to be able to remember this password, or you have to write it down or something like that. But most people come up with some system that they think is so clever, um, or sadly, as, as you're about to see, people don't come up with anything at all, and it's horrible. Um, they come up with some way to have a password that they can remember. And that is the worst way usually to come up with a password. And just to give you an idea, uh, splash data does this thing every year where they look through all the worst passwords of the year, which, and the way they know these passwords is these are the ones that were, uh, uh, off the dark web. They say, you know, when someone, when you hear about these breaches at Yahoo or target or home Depot, where the home, where, where somebody, some hacker got in and they stole all the password databases, and these companies say, "Quick, go update your passwords right away." Uh, the reason they did that is because uh, the piece password databases are full of millions, sometimes hundreds of millions, uh, of passwords, and the bad guys start cranking through these things on their computers and trying to crack all these passwords. And the ones that are really bad are really easy to crack. And so, last year there were some like 10 million passwords that were that were cracked by the hackers and made available on the dark web for purchase. Um, and they, they bought the list, went through this list and figured out what the worst passwords were. So of all the 10 million cracked passwords from 2016, here are the, here are the top passwords. Number one was one, two, three, four, five, six. And that was the same as, that was the same as last year. Number two password all lowercase P A S S W R D. That was the second most popular password of all these 10 million passwords that were hacked last year. And then after that, it just, it just keeps going. The number three was one, two, three, four, five. Number four was really getting tricky here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Number five was football. (laughs) I don't know why that was such a popular password. Number six was QWERTY Q W E R T Y. And if, uh, if you're a typist, I'm sure you recognize that. That is the first six characters on the top of a keyboard from left to right. Q-W-E-R-T-Y. Very easy to do. The number seven and number eight were just more variations on one, two, three, four, blah, blah, blah. Number nine was princess. How odd was that? Number 10. Number 10. 10th most, 10th most popular password is one, two, three, four. Four digits in order. One of them is login, welcome, solo, as in hand solo. I think we're all all the Star Wars stuff coming back. Uh, it just goes on and on. It's awful. You have to get down to number 18 before you start getting to something clever like password where the zero, instead of using O for the, they use zero in password. Um, 
what are the other ones I thought was interesting? And people look at this and go, what the heck was that? Uh, is Z-A-Q-1. Uh, and and this this one, this guy got, this, this was clever. This is the 24th most popular password. And you're thinking, Z-A-Q-1, what is that? Well, again, look at your keyboard. Z-A-Q-1 is the left column of keys. If you look, if you if you look down the left column, it's one Q A Z. So this guy got even a little more clever, I guess, and went backwards. So that just gives you an idea how horrible we are at picking passwords, and that's why it's so easy for the bad guys to break a lot of these password systems. So you got to realize that when when the bad guys are 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 trying to get into your account, they these are the first ones they go for because a lot of people use these very easy to guess passwords. So they actually have their computer programs set to automatically attempt all of these horrible passwords. That's the first thing they go for. Um, and we're going to get into it a little bit uh, here in a second on how you pick a good password and how you avoid that. But let's talk first about how we, how the bad guys crack these passwords. And there's two basic scenarios that you need to be thinking about. And this is very important because this really determines what kind of password you need to be choosing. So you, you got to kind of break up your passwords into two camps, into two buckets of passwords. And there's there's the case where the bad guy is actually like trying to log into your account. They're like, for some reason, they picked you and they're trying to get into your bank account. Maybe they stumbled across your email address and thought, hey, I wonder if this guy's got a Bank of America account. Let's let's try this email address on Bank of America and let's see if I can guess this guy's password and get into his bank accounts. Um, so that's what we would call an online attack. So what that means is that person has to go to the website, you know, type in this information, hit enter and see if they got it right. Um the thing with online attacks is they tend to be very slow, right? And the, so that's actually a human or maybe it could be an automated thing where that automatically types in and hits enter, but that's generally slow. Web pages on the web are slow. And usually these sorts of systems, when you're coming through the front door, basically, if you're coming through the way that you're normally supposed to come in, uh, they'll lock you out if you try too many bad passwords in a row. So that makes it very hard to just guess and guess and guess and guess what we call a brute force technique where you just guess over and over again until you find the right password. You really can't do that with those sorts of systems. Anything where you actually have to sit there and some human at a human level speed has to try something is very slow. And, 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 and those are called online attacks. And in those cases, you really don't need to be, you know, super amazing with your password. Um, you just need to have something that's generally good, something that's not easy to guess within a few attempts. Now, What's actually the more common case and the one that you hear about more on the news is what we call an offline attack. And this is where things are dangerous. And this is where you need absolutely the strongest possible passwords. So what do I mean by an offline attack? So an offline attack is like when uh, when somebody's uh, server is hacked, like Yahoo or, uh, again, Home Depot. Some of the, these are there were many of these cases and it's not really. It's not, don't really think too badly on some of these companies. Computer systems are very hard to keep secure. And it's, you know, getting into a computer system and, and copying out all the passwords. And these are the password databases for everybody on that system. So Yahoo, when they did this, I think there were like 500 million passwords were stolen. Um, that's a lot of passwords. So that, that's a, it's a rich target. That's where the hackers want to go. And for other reasons as well. So when they, when they get those passwords, when they, when they somehow hack into Yahoo servers and they find the, the database that contains all the passwords for all of its users and they download that, now they can do what's called an offline attack. Now they actually have that big chunk of data right there on their computer or computers if, they, if they're really resourceful. Uh, and they can just start hacking away at those passwords. Now, 
it's it's important to understand that those password databases, at least when they're done correctly, they don't actually have your real password. So if your password was well, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, there actually isn't a file somewhere in Yahoo that says Carrie's password is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. What they they do what's called a hash, and, and this is where some of the jargon and technical stuff comes in, but it's kind of important to understand. You don't need to know how it works, but basically what they do is they transmogrify your password in a very known and predictable way. So they take that one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and they run it through this thing called a hash. And out comes this really big, nasty, random looking thing. But the key is that if you put those same numbers in again, you'll get that same big, nasty result as the output. So what they store is that big, crazy output. And the, the key thing about that hashed output is you can't go backwards. So if I'm if I give you the hash, you can't just use a, well, You'd have to brute force it, but you can't just quickly go from go backward to figure out that what caused what created that was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's the whole point. So if they're doing it right, they're storing a hash of your password, not your password. So the way they tell if you entered the right password is uh, they store the hash of your password, and then you enter that password again, and it's hashed, and then they compare the hashes. Because remember, I said if you put the same thing in, you always get the same thing out. So what they're really doing is they're comparing the hashes of, of your, the password that they saved and the hash of the password you just gave, and if they match, then you must know your password because there's no other thing you could have put in here that would have given that output. So I said you couldn't go backwards. I said if you have the hash, you can't quickly go back to what created that hash. But as I just said, the bad guys keep track of all these known passwords that everybody uses all the time and think they're so clever. They've got millions and millions of these that they've already written down. And, and, and what they do is they pre-calculate the hash for all of those. That's what we call a rainbow table or a lookup table or a dictionary table. And so then they can do quick comparisons and they could say, uh, okay, I'll, I know what the hash of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven is. And if I see that hash in this password database, then I know that that user's password is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So they really didn't, they weren't able to deconstruct the hash, but if they could pre-calculate it, then they could match them up. I know, I know, very technical. But the whole point is, if they do it right, um, if the, if they do the password stuff right, then they have to. The, the, all the bad guys can hope for is 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 to guess the right password based on a list of known bad passwords and hope that users use those passwords. And if they match, then they can then they can use those passwords. So the key for you and the reason that you need to pick really good passwords is once the bad guys try the bad password, the try the list of known bad passwords that everybody uses, password, one, two, three, four, five, six, football, whatever. Once they've once they exhausted those, and those are really quick, they could crank through those very quickly. Now they're stuck. Now now they really do just have to guess. They don't they they've tried all the easy ones. And now what they need to do is they need to tell their computer, okay. I don't know what this guy's password. He didn't pick one of the common ones. So we're just going to have to start going through every single possible password there could be ever and see if we could figure out what that is. That is called brute force. And that is the camp you want to be in. <laughs> you, you want a password that is so good that the bad guys don't already know it uh, and can't easily pick it to, as one of the first tries. So you want, you want to be in the camp where they're just trying to figure out what your password is by guessing every possible password. And by that, I mean, okay, is your password a no is your password B no go through the alphabet is your password a a is your password a B <laughs> and so on and so forth. You can see this is time consuming, right? And that's the camp you want to be in. You want a password that's so hard to guess, so impossible to guess that they have to go through that brute force process. They actually have to try every possible password with, with to have any hope of actually guessing what your password is.
And that leads me into how you pick a good password. How do you make a good password? How do you find a password that is so random, so unguessable, that you get into the camp of having your password be have to be brute force guessed, that they actually have to go through every possible combination to hope, for, to, hope to get your password? How do, you, how do you do that? So what makes a good password? Okay, so there's a few things. Um, first of all is the length, right? And that's something that all the password uh, sites, every time you create an account, they always say, well, it has to be at least blah, blah characters, usually eight, right? I think that's usually what most of them are today. It has to have at least eight characters long. And then they say, of course, you must have at least one capital letter, one lowercase letter, one number, one special character, blah, blah, blah. The reason that they tell you that is because it increases the possibilities for what you have to guess. And that is crucial. So by making sure that your password contains at least one upper, one lower, one number, one special character, what they're doing is they're forcing the bad guys to say, okay, I can't just guess lowercase letters. I can't just guess numbers. I've got to, when I'm doing every possible guess, I've got to include all those possible characters. And when you add that up, that makes a huge difference. To understand what I mean, let's start with the pin code. Let's start with something simple. Your ATM. When you go to your ATM, you probably have a four-digit pin. So let's think about that. Let's break that down. How hard is it to guess every possible pin that you could have? Okay, so it's four characters long. So there's four of them, uh, and each of those characters in, in the in the pin is is a digit. It's either a zero through nine. So there's ten possibilities. So the way the math works on that is you take how many possibilities there are, and then you raise that to the factor of how many how many spaces there are in the in the password how many how many characters so for a four digit pin and every one of the, for a four digit pin where every one of those characters can be 10 possible things that's 10,000 combinations so if you think about it that's 0000 0001 0002 all the way up through 9999 so you can see right there it's actually pretty straightforward if you think about that how many are there well there's 10,000 possibilities so that's 4 to the power of 10 or I'm sorry 10 to the power of 4 so that's if you think about a six digit pin, it's only two more digits, but it's a hundred times hard harder to guess. There's a hundred more combinations because ten to the ten squared. Um, so six digits gets you a million possible codes. So you've only you've gone from four to six, but you can see it went from ten thousand to a million different combinations. Just adding those two more digits, making it just a little bit longer, makes it that much harder to guess. Now, of course, when you're an ATM, that's an online attack, right? So there's there is no way for the for a computer to sit there and guess all ten thousand uh, all possible ten thousand combinations because if there was, ATMs wouldn't be secure at all. Uh, that's way too easy for a computer to do. But for a human to sit there and type in ten thousand combinations, that's hard and it's slow and it's painful. And the ATM is going to stop you after I don't know four, five, six of these and say, "Hey, wait a minute, you're obviously not the guy, <laughs> so I'm going to lock you out." Um, same thing with your phone. You've got a phone, uh, a pin on your phone, even though it might be only four digits long, and you, you probably should make it longer. But uh, you can only guess so many times before it locks you out. In fact, on an uh, at least on an iPhone, I know you can set it to wipe your phone completely uh, if somebody guesses it ten times wrong in a row. Um, so that's that's an online attack. That's different. So in that case, as you can see, it doesn't have to be a crazy password. It could just be something a simple four to five six digit pin that will keep most people out. So now let's take what we've learned there on pins and apply that to passwords. 
So uh, with a password, uh, the size of our alphabet, uh, that is the, the number of possibilities for each character in, a, in, a, in the password is much larger. So first of all, you've got your lowercase numbers, right? That, there's 26 letters in the alphabet, in the, U, in the English alphabet. So there's 26 lowercase and there's 26 uppercase. Those are, those are different. That's 52. Uh, throw in the digits. That's, there's 10 more of those. And then if you look at the special characters, you know, the commas, the semicolons, the percent signs, and all those things. If you look at that, there's about, depends on what you call a special character and what you allow and what you don't allow. But let's say there's, there's about 33 of them. So when you add all that up, there's about 95 possible combinations per character. Now with a pin, there's only 10. So you can see that when you, once you start introducing more possibilities, uh, things get more complicated much more quickly. So, okay, so your website says you must have at least eight characters and you must have one each of these of these different types, lowercase, uppercase, numbers, and special characters. So if you do the math on that, that's 95 to the power of eight. So don't worry about bringing out a calculator. I'm going to tell you what that is. That is 6.6 .6 quadrillion possibilities. That's, I believe, 15 zeros. So you think to yourself, wow, wow, that's really good. It's, you know, that, that's a lot. That would take a computer forever to figure out. Turns out, not so much. So if you take a, a pretty good computer today, something that an average human with a regular budget could buy, you could probably get away with 100 billion guesses per second. So if you could guess 100 billion per second, and you had an eight-character password, and you wanted to guess all possible values, you could do that in a, just over 18 hours. That's not good enough. Now, if you had a supercomputer that was a thousand times better than that, let's say we had a super supercomputer could do 100 trillion, 100 trillion guesses per second. A supercomputer, say, oh, I don't know, owned by the CIA or the NSA or the GH, uh, GCHQ, they could go through all possible values of an eight-character password in 1.12 minutes. Again, eight characters, not good enough. So you think, okay, who's, who's really going to do that? Do I really need to have a, a, um, a password that's that, that, that good? Well, let's see how much better we can make that password just by adding a few characters. If you add just one more character, go to nine characters instead of eight, on a regular computer, you've gone from 18 hours up to about two and a half months. Just by adding one more character, add, add one more. Let's go to 10. If you go to 10 characters and you're on a, a, a regular computer, a, a pretty good computer that could do 100 billion guesses a second. If you're on that computer with 10 characters, you're now up to almost 20 years just by adding one more character. So supercomputer could still do that in about a week. You're thinking, okay, that, that, that's still not bad. My point is, a couple things. First of all, computers are getting faster all the time. So these things that are encrypted, these things that are encrypted with your passwords, uh, sometimes communications, sometimes emails, things like that, if you really want them to stay uh, private for your lifetime, you need to be thinking big and you need to be getting bigger than that. And, you know, the algorithms and things that we use to crack these passwords and the, and the uh, are getting better. The, the computers are getting faster. So if you really want to protect yourself, I think you just need to go a little bit more than that. So I generally recommend that you go at least 12 characters with your password. If you have a 12-character password, a uh, regular computer could guess that in 1.74 thousand centuries. <laughs> and a supercomputer only in 1.74 centuries. So, you know, that, that ought to get you through. So if, as you're picking your passwords, go for at least 12. And actually, I'm going to tell you a little bit later how to go even more than that. 
You're listening to the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network. It's where we say, let the silent voices be heard. You'll find a whole host of shows and a great lineup back at AmericaOutloud.com. And also, get the apps. We now stream 24-7 on Android and Apple. Just look for America Out Loud Talk Radio. So, now the next thing. You need to have a unique password for every site. Why? Well, if, if somebody manages to crack some account you don't care about, you've got some web forum, Pinterest, something or other that you think, ah, who cares about that? And you, you, you pick a bad password or you pick what, even what you think is a decent password. Just because, you know, you, you listen to me, you pick a decent password, you got a 12 character password, but you thought, you know what? I'm just going to memorize this one. It's so good. I'm going to memorize this one password and I'm going to use it everywhere. You know, because I'm, I'm tired of remembering all these passwords. Let's just pick one really good one and I'll use that other places. Well, I think you can see where I'm going with this, right? So if, I, if, if the hacker for some reason figures how to get into your Pinterest account and guesses that password, once they've cracked that one password, the first thing they're going to do is to go to try to use that password somewhere else. And that's why these password database breaches are so severe. It's not so much that the site where the, that was hacked is, is a problem because maybe you don't care about that site. But if you use that same password that was hacked, let's say you, you pick a dumb password or, or a password for Yahoo, and then you use that Yahoo password for your bank as well. So if the hacker gets into Yahoo and figures out your password on Yahoo, now every other place that you use that same password is now at risk. So it's not just a matter of you going and changing your Yahoo password. You need to change all the other passwords. And if you're going to bother doing that, Make them all different and unique. And now, of course, you're saying, Carrie, I, I've got way too many passwords. There's just no, there's no way. I can't do it. Sure, I can come up with maybe a couple good passwords and memorize them. I can't do 100 of them. How can I possibly do this? And the answer is you can't. You're a human. You're just not up to that task. Um, for you to create a truly random, bizarre password that nobody could possibly guess in centuries, you might be able to get away with memorizing one or two of those. Um, if you're really sharp, maybe a few more than that, but you can't do hundreds of them. I've probably got 500 passwords. Um, so the only way you could possibly do that is with help. Uh, and the help that most people go to today is a password manager. And there are all sorts of great reasons to use a password manager. First of all, it stores all your passwords. So now you don't have to remember all these passwords. You can come up with a bunch of unique, great passwords for all these different websites and your password manager remembers them. So you don't have to. So when you go to that website, your password manager just fills in the password for you. You just click submit done deal. The other thing that's great about most password managers, any password math manager worth its salt is it will generate those passwords for you. So you don't even have to come up with the password. It will generate a truly long, strong, unique, password for every website you have. And now boom, you don't have to, you don't have to worry about the count anymore because you don't have to memorize it. What difference does it make to you if it's 12 characters or 20 characters? So just crank it up. Now there are some websites for some reason that, that limit the number of characters, which is a little bit silly. I guess they have to put some limit on it. Uh, some of them, you know, I think usually tops out about 20. Some of them are like 16. So, you know, you might have to tweak this and, and the password managers will let you do that. If you get to a website where it says, oh, that's too long, you can dial back your password generator to say, oh, okay, fine. I won't do 20 this time. I'll only do 16 because for some reason you can't handle it. So you can set your password manager to do, to, to, to match all the rules that they have. Some of them have other dumb rules about what special characters you can use and so on. Password managers take all that into account and you're covered. All you got to do is generate a password that, that works for their system and boom save it. You'll never have to remember it. You've got a great password that it will just be impossible to guess. 
Now, if you're properly paranoid, and anybody listening to this show should be properly paranoid, you must be thinking, oh man, I'm putting all my eggs in one basket. Why would I do that? Why would I put all my juicy passwords into one thing? And then worse yet, store those online. Isn't that just begging for those to get hacked? And you know what? You're right. Yes, that's, that is dangerous. You're, 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 you are putting all your eggs in one basket. However, I'm here to tell you that on the whole, on balance, it's still way, way better than you as a human trying to come up with really good passwords that cannot be guessed for all the websites you have that require passwords. So it's a trade-off as it always is with security. It's a trade-off and these companies that do password managers, and I'm going to give you a few here to, to look at, uh, that's their job. Their job is to keep this, this stuff safe. And the way they do that is they encrypt all of your passwords locally on your computer before it ever gets stored in the cloud or, or stored wherever they store it. Some of them don't store it in the cloud. Some of them actually have you store it yourself, uh, which we'll talk about here in a second. And they encrypt the hell out of it. <laughs> so they're not messing around. So they make it very, very hard to crack open that safe because that's what they do. That's, that's, it's kind of like going to a safe company, right? That's their whole reputation is, is protecting the stuff that you put in there. So yes, yes, it is true. You're putting everything in one basket. And if that basket were somehow compromised, that would be bad. But again, I'm telling you, on the balance, on the whole, it's still better to go this route than to try to come up with truly secure, unique passwords for all your websites yourself and trying to memorize those. So what password managers do I recommend? There are actually a lot of quite good ones out there. Um, if you just do a little Googling around, do a little or DuckDuckGo if you uh, like your privacy, uh, if you do some searches, do some web searches, you'll find all sorts of reviews and all sorts of, um, of options out there. Um, uh, certainly uh, Privacy Abroad, LastPass, 1Password, Dashlane, RoboForm, um, KeePass. There's a whole bunch of them out there. The thing that that I keep coming back to most of the, and all of these are good and every one of them is software and there could be bugs in any one of them. Um, but they, that's their job. It's their reputation on the line to make sure that these things, uh, stay safe and nobody's perfect. But, uh, the, the one that I, that I tend to recommend the most, just because it tends to be very feature rich. It has a lot of really great features. Uh, it's very easy to use for most people. And to me, the, the only good password manager is the one that you'll actually use. Um, uh, I would recommend LastPass. Uh, it, they're not perfect. Um, they, if you look through the news, you will see that they quote unquote had some breaches. Um, they're actually uh, not. The passwords themselves really didn't get loose. Um, there were some bugs that they fixed, um, and it really was not an issue. Uh, but if that's a if that's an issue for you, if you're worried about your passwords being stored online, there are definitely options for you to store them yourself. It's a little more inconvenient if you use something like One Password. Uh, you can actually store those passwords yourself on a little flat, uh, little flash drive that you have to then carry with you if you want to be able to have access to them. So you have to plug that into whatever computer you're on uh, and then get to your password vault that way uh, and put in your passwords. It's a lot less convenient, but if you're worried about storing them in the cloud, there are options for things like that. Um, and I just encourage you to do your own research. Um, uh, and, and, and if you don't like these options, find some other ones you do. Um, but personally, uh, those are the ones that LastPass, 1Password, Dashlane. These are the ones that are consistently rated highly by multiple different sources. Um, and they do check for things like security and convenience and ease of use and things like that. So I would definitely give those a look. Uh, it's the only real way you're going to be able to remember all these different passwords. All right. So now with all that, after saying all that about generating passwords and how people suck at creating good passwords, you still have one password you have to generate and remember. 
and it's got to be good. And that is your last pass or whatever, your password manager. And that is your password manager's password, your master password, the password that locks the vault, the, the combination to the safe with all your passwords in it. So we still need to be able to come up with one way for you to, to have one really good password that it's that you can memorize in a fairly easy way, but looks like gibberish to somebody else and doesn't have any kind of patterns to exploit uh, when you're trying to guess uh, known bad passwords. Force them into the situation where they've got to guess every possible combination of passwords in order to get to this password. And the easiest method for that that I've found uh, that works well for most people is think about a lyric, a song lyric, or a long book title, or um, a passage from uh, a poem, uh, some some text, some text that you can easily call to mind, exactly call to mind, uh, and maybe not something that everybody would associate with you. If you're just well known to be a an Elvis fanatic, and there's the one album that everybody knows that you love and play over, over and over and over again. Maybe you don't pick that one song as, as the basis for this. But find something that you can remember word for word and take that phrase. Make, it a, make sure it's at least eight words long. Uh, more is better. And then go through that phrase and take the first letter of every word in that phrase. Uh, make sure you retain things like capitalization. Um, so the first one probably is capital. Maybe some of the words in the middle are capital, depending on what you're picking. Punctuation. Use punctuation. If there's a if there's an obvious comma or a period or exclamation mark or question mark uh, in the middle of this phrase, definitely throw that in there as well. And this is something you can memorize. So you, you think in your head, okay, what was my password? And you remember the phrase, and then you just pick the first letter of every word in that phrase and make sure you include capitalization and punctuation. And if you could come up with something that's at least eight characters long, you should be in pretty good shape. But I'm going to have you go one step further. So remember what we said, uh, that every extra character you add makes it much harder to guess. And it turns out it's about 95 times harder to guess or 100 times harder to guess if you use all the characters uh, on the keyboard. So just pick your phrase, go to all the trouble picking your phrase, and then find some other way to add three more characters. Three random characters. I don't care if you just want to put AAA at the end or colon, colon, colon at the end or dot, dot, dot at the beginning. I don't care. Or, or question mark at the end, question mark at the, at the beginning. Find something. Come up with your own little technique. But find some way that you'll remember to add three simple characters to that password to make it just three more characters long. Um, and make it give it one more reason that it's not be able to guess. So maybe someone does know, oh, yeah, he loves Elvis. Let me try Let me try some Elvis phrases. <laughs> Again, this is probably only going to happen in weird situations because that hacker would have to know you. But, you know, humor me. If you really want to make that password good, come up with your phrase, pick the first letter of every word in that phrase, and then find three other characters just to tack on in some way. Uh, Three at the beginning, three at the end. I don't care. You come up with something that you can always remember. And that will make that password just that much better. All right, so we have covered it. We have covered passwords. There's just a few little frequently asked questions I want to tack on, a little bit of a lightning round here at the end. Some other things that I think you might be wondering. First of all, should you change your password? Now, if you've worked at any big company and has an IT department worth talking about, they've probably told you you must change your password every so often, which drives everybody crazy, right? You, you, you go to all this trouble to come up with a good password you have to remember, and now i got to change it every three months or every six months? you got to be kidding me. Well, it turns out that you were right. <laughs> uh, the NIST, which is the National Institute of Standards and Technology, uh, which is a government, a U.S. government agency which publishes a lot of guidelines around things like this, around, around how to do password management, um, they finally give in and said, you know what? Because this is so onerous, because this people hate this so much, they, they inevitably 
will either just write their passwords down because there's so many, they have to change it so often they can't remember it. They'll write their passwords down. They'll maybe put a sticky note on their monitor, right? Or something stupid like that or under their keyboard. Or, or they'll come up with some system that just defeats the whole purpose. You know, So they'll come up with some password they like that they can remember. And then they put a number at the at the end, one, two, three, and they just increment that number every time they, they're told to change their password. That defeats the whole purpose. So anyway, NIST finally published some guidelines and said, you know what, that's just silly. Just come up with some really good passwords. Don't worry about changing them. Now, one reason co- corporations do that, of course, is because sometimes there are shared passwords at work and people do come and go, right? That people leave the company or there's layoffs or whatever. You know, so you don't want those passwords being known by people that have left the company. So every once in a while, you know, those, some of those passwords, you know, should be rotated. But for you at home, for your passwords, unless unless you think your passwords has been compromised, like there's been a reported breach for that service, or maybe you lent the password to someone you trusted, but now you're not so sure, or maybe maybe you entered that password on a public computer somewhere, and now you're worried, hmm, maybe that, maybe that got recorded or... Or, or something, I'm worried about it. When those situations come up, yeah, sure, go change your password. If you have a password manager, you can usually just say, hey, I want to change my password for this site, and it will just do it for you. Pick some other great killer long password and just swap it out for you. So that's how that's what you should do if you want to change your passwords. Now, should I ever write my passwords down? Honestly, if that's what it takes for you to remember your master password for your vault and, and coming up with something that's so good um, that even you can't remember it, yeah, go ahead, write it down. Just don't label what it is, you know, put it in a place that's not obvious. Um, if you really want to get um, fancy, um, you could put half one place and half someplace else. Just put it somewhere. If it's your home, it's basically physically safe because of your home. So the only people you'd be worried about seeing that password is anybody who has access to that note, wherever that note may be. So yeah, it's really, you know, if you have to, sure, write it down. Don't put it in any place obvious. Don't label it, um, that sort of thing. Can I share passwords? Uh, actually, some password managers have really clever techniques that will let you share it with individual people and then revoke that later without them actually ever being able to see the password. Uh, you can give them access to your account. It will fill in it, the, the password for them, but they will not be able to see the password. So password managers actually facilitate uh, being able to share passwords. And I'll, one step further, and the other question that a lot of people ask is, what happens when I die? So I've got this killer master password in this password vault. Uh, and I'd like my spouse or whoever, my survivors to be able to get into all these accounts after I die. And let's say I suddenly die and I don't you know, think about this. Well, you can actually, some password managers have, uh, the capability to set up what's called a dead man switch, where if you don't check in, you know, once a week or something like that, it will, as an emergency measure, you know, say, Hey, um, you haven't talked to me in a while. Everything. Okay. If not, I'm going to assume something bad happened. I'm going to email your spouse or whoever you designated uh, with a one-time password that they can use to get into your account. But you could also do simpler things too. You could just write that password down, your master password, and make sure you put it in your safe deposit box and then make sure that your loved ones have access to that box when you die. Uh, Maybe you could give it to your lawyer when you write up your will. Uh, You can give the master password to them and they can hold that safe uh, until you die. So you definitely need to be thinking about that as well. Make sure that somebody, the people you care about, that might have to get into those accounts after you die, will have access to the master password so they can get to all the other passwords. And there we have it, folks, the first edition of Castle Defense 101. Thank you, class, for coming and attending. Uh, Hopefully you've learned everything and more that you need to know about passwords to do it upright and secure all of your online stuff. We'll be doing these classes from time to time, so stay tuned, and you can bank these things up and always, of course, go back and listen to them again. Uh, if you forgot something or if you want to share it with a friend and say, hey, this is all the info you need to know about topic XYZ, and today that topic was passwords, be sure to share this off with your friends 
and uh, let them know so they can get educated as well. And our next topic is going to be on backups. So what I'd like to do, I'm going to have a little contest around this. And this is uh, on backing up your data and how to keep all your data safe in case there's ransomware, malware, or some other catastrophe. And we're going to walk you through uh, all the things you need to know about that, and, and, I'll, I'll, and we'll cover that in a future Castle Defense 101. So between now and then, what I'd like you to do is uh, tell me your backup horror stories. Tell me about the time when your phone dropped in the toilet and that was the only place you had all your precious pictures. Tell me about the time where, uh, God forbid, your house caught fire or something went wrong and your computer got destroyed and that computer was the only place that you had all your tax documents. Whatever whatever your particular horror stories is, send it to me at Parker at americaoutloud.com. You can find that address on the website, of course. Uh, send me your horror stories, and I will look through all those, and I will pick out the funniest or the most interesting one, and uh, that person will win a free copy of the book, uh, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'll send you a digital copy of the book, and I'll read your story aloud uh, on the air next time when we talk about backups. So again, send me those horror stories at Parker at americaoutloud.com for your chance to win a free copy of my book. And that's going to do it, folks. Another edition of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons and the first in a series of Castle Defense 101. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week. We'll have some more great interviews for you and some up-to-date news on the cybersecurity world. And until then, folks, don't get caught with the drawbridge down. Take care. Take care.